Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we'll be discussing the world of prefabrication in construction. We'll uncover the buzz and benefits behind the technology, dispel common prefab myths, and discuss real-world examples of prefabrication successfully being used on recent projects. To get to the bottom of the story, I'm joined by Amr Rafat, Vice President of VDC and Technology at Windover Construction, and Nick Cobre, CEO of Howick. Based in Boston, Amr is a technology leader and expert in the construction industry, bringing over 20 years of experience to our conversation today. And in 2019, he also received Autodesk's AEC Innovator of the Year Award. Nick hails from New Zealand and leads a third-generation family-owned business. Under his leadership, Howick has created a precision light steel roll-forming machine, that's a mouthful, that introduces and improves accuracy and productivity, allowing for the manufacture of framing components to reduce site waste. Using that tech, they support customers' all over the globe, including Amr's team at Windover. With all that said, thanks for joining me on the show today, gentlemen. Thank you, Eric, for having us in this great podcast. Thanks, Eric. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the historic you know, collaboration between your teams and your wide understanding and knowledge of prefabrication is you know, an application for our industry. It's just going to be a, a lot of fun to unpack. And so for our listeners out there, as I mentioned a moment ago, for the first part of today's show, we're going to reveal the what and why behind prefabrication and construction. We'll also discuss some myths and misconceptions and hear some of those real world examples of how our guests are successfully implementing prefabrication out in the construction world. Amr, let's begin with the big picture. Can you explain what exactly we mean when discussing prefabrication in construction? I've heard the term used to describe many different concepts, so setting a baseline on the what will be a really great starting point for our listeners. Sure. Eric, it's uh, prefabrication has been there for a while, for decades, and what we are doing now uh, and what I really call prefabrication is prefabricating in a factory setting assemblies. It doesn't have to be a whole building or a whole rooms or volumetric modular. It could be as small as simple trusses or smaller elements. But in a factory setting, these prefabricated elements can really provide value for clients such as cost savings, time savings, help the environment by reducing waste, as well as helping us focus on quality. It's not related to weather. You can build in the factory anytime, so it's weather dependent. So I see all these values that we, Nick and I, are going to discuss with you today in brief application. And I think that's such an important, you know, point to to keep in mind for our listeners out there too. Is the scope of prefabrication is is pretty wide, where it can be as narrow as you know some small building elements that you repeat and everything, or you know larger scale in that controlled environment. So I, I do appreciate that. And Nick. I hear a lot of you know misconceptions tied to prefabrication or, or myths, if you want to frame it that way, when this technology comes up. Are there any that you hear with regularity that you'd like to you know dispel as best you can with our audience today? Yeah, I think one of the big ones is everybody thinks it's a bit like automotive, and that's where we want to get to, but we're not there anytime soon. Everyone always jumps to volumetric boxes, 
So fully finished units where it can be, as Amir said, something as small as a single component. It doesn't have to be a fully finished building and it doesn't have to be expensive either. It can actually be quite simple. And it's really about being design lead rather than actually just making something in a factory. So with this baseline you know, definition of prefabrication and construction that we now have, and I'm thankful that we've got kind of something to build on. Amir, can you tell me a little more about the advantages that those out there in the world who are already leveraging prefabrication are seeing compared to those who focus exclusively on more traditional building methods? Of course. That's a great point, Eric. So I see the advantage in prefabrication that it can allow us to build in a factory setting save energy, as well as even in the future when we try to deassemble these elements to put it somewhere else, it's still environmentally friendly. We can reuse them. We can deassemble them without polluting the environment. Also, it allows us to use robotics and additive manufacturing to create assemblies and prefab pieces that we can utilize on site. So it's allowing us to focus on quality, especially right now with the shortage in very skilled labor. I think... Uh, Prefabrication is allowing to utilize and unify BIM data with robotics and automation in the factory to produce high quality products. I think back to to next point, one of the myths myth and misconceptions about prefab, that prefab, it, it doesn't have to be like a box or a boring design. With our prefabrication techniques and our focus on data and technology right now and MEB BIM coordination, we can really produce beautiful designs that could be flexible and respond to client needs and allow our design teams to actually innovate and be more creative in terms of functionality. So it doesn't have to be really a, a box a prefab right now. I really appreciate that context. And, and I, I think back to when I was still working in, in industry myself at a big GC. And whenever prefab came up, it typically was within that very narrow scope that you were just speaking about, where it was, you know, uninspired elements or something that you know was built quickly for a low cost, but didn't have that flourish that some people come to expect. Or even as narrow as just saying, yeah, we're going to catch all of our casework with prefab or cabinetry or something simple without ever really unpacking the the wider scope that we could consider. So thank you for that information. And Nick, before we really jump into the details of some of the real world examples that both of you have been working on, can you tell us a little bit more about the machines that your team has built that, that support the prefabrication space and construction? Yeah, so we've been building machines for 43 years now, so and framing machines in particular for about 30. So we started off with a really simple idea. We were going to build this little machine that could go up in an elevator shaft take it on site and roll out all the panels. And it never really took off to start with. So because of these issues around design and getting things accurate, we were too accurate for the rest of the building. That sort of led to us doing load bearing construction, which led to modular boxes, and it kind of evolved from there. And we've always wanted to go into that space of an existing building and trying to figure out something. So that's where our extender telescopic system came from, because it allows us to get the benefit of a panelized system but also be flexible enough to fit into any space. So we kind of focus on construction machinery mainly, and it's everything from light gauge, non-load bearing, all the way up to heavy floors and sort of 12 gauge thickness material. So we cover a wide spectrum of all sorts of different things. And we kind of attack it from a mechanical engineering point of view rather than a construction engineering point. So it allows us to do things that we probably wouldn't normally think of. 
I like that stepping out of the box perspective that your your tech has kind of brought to the space and tease up my next question very nicely since I know you are working with Amr's team. And I know you've implemented some prefab on some recent projects and are also using that machinery, like I mentioned. Can you share some of the details about those projects that are actually using prefab and the impact that they've had for your team and the customers that you serve? Sure. So uh, with our combination of BIM data, laser scanning, all the coordination we do at Wendover, we actually redefined what's possible to build. It's helped us transform how we build on site, utilizing Howex technology with prefab. For example, I'm going to give you a couple great examples here. The first one we needed on a project in Gloucester, Massachusetts, to create 900, almost a thousand trusses, 935 trusses, roof trusses. We were able to create those trusses in 15 hours only using the Howick machine. From the BIM data we created and all the Dynamo coding from the Autodesk softwares to create and produce lots of these uh, trusses in a very short time in a factory setting at the Autodesk Technology Center. And then we actually took that to another level, combining prefabrication technology, combined it with Fologram technology, which helped us assemble those trusses on site using mixed reality, guided. It's, you, know, you know, Eric, it's like assembling furniture with, uh, with, with a guided of, uh, guidance of follow, holograms without having to look outside of the task in hand. And this helped us assemble those almost thousand trusses with one person in the field in two days versus seven days with two people. So prefabrication combined with other technologies such as mixed reality can really enhance our production in the factory with great quality. What I love about the, the machinery here, the prefab concept, is that this machine is actually almost with zero waste. It reduces the waste hugely. So and it's also cutting uh, cost savings. So with this project, we were able to, with this technique, prefab technique, we were able to offer our client 70% cost savings in addition to the time savings. So it's providing clients with substantial uh, cost savings and time savings. Also the helping the environment with the waste. Another technology we work together on is the telescopic studs. Uh, this machine, we had a, a historic preservation, preservation project here in, in the Boston area. And what we did when we laser scanned the, the ceiling, we found it very playful, it's, it varies. So as a typical 120 year old building. So what we did is that we took a tech first approach utilizing the Howick technology combined with the BIM data we created to create those telescopic studs, which has a powerful, it can really transform how we can do interior fit outs. And the reason for that, that it's, it can travel from the factory very small. It can maneuver between tight spaces and the tight elevators. And when it goes to its intended assembly location, our field team loved it. You can expand it and it goes and it adapts with any ceilings and uh, any ceiling heights or any space. This is powerful and we are utilizing it. We're looking to utilize it in life science projects to make tight spaces very quickly. It's really transforming the way we build. I appreciate the look into the different aspects of tech that you're leveraging to make the rollout of these prefabricated elements effective. I'm curious, how much time do you think you've saved for, say, the trust project where you built all of that offsite and brought it in versus if you would use more traditional building methods? Like what's the what's the time delta there? The time delta was a few months lead time to get those trusses compared to 15 hours doing it in the factory at the tech center. So, so it was actually a huge difference in time lead. You also can control quality. Also, the, what I love about this is all the BIM data in the Revit was carried over 
into manufacturing. You, what you're creating is exactly what was modeled per the design team, approved by the design team, quality. Everything is identical to the other pieces. So really prefabrication techniques are helping us saving not only time, but improving quality and making sure everything is consistent and will fit perfectly on site. It all is such a differentiator right now, especially with the schedule constraints most of our peers are experiencing right now. Like an accelerated schedule is now just an expectation, not not a nice to have. So finding ways to optimize with, with prefab seems like the way to go. I appreciate your anecdote about they'd send an Oculus unit with every Ikea <laughs> to a table that I buy <laughs> so I don't have to page through the instructions that don't ultimately give me any insight on how to put the, the whole thing together. Nick, I'm curious, are there any other examples from your team recently that you'd like to share with the listeners as far as you know success with these prefabricated elements? Yeah, so we've had a couple of sort of prototype projects we've done here early on. One of them was a big shopping center and that was the very first project we did and they pan- the panels were five meters so you're sort of talking you know, 20 feet tall and we were compressing them down to just over half that height so they could transport them so that project there they managed to pull the project back on schedule and they pulled back about three weeks of production to get that project back onto schedule which was great and the whole point of that was working with the customer to try to figure out what they're trying to do so they did that and then they did all the soffits from the ceiling where again one of these great bold buildings with a lumpy floor and a lumpy ceiling in it so they attached the frames to the roof and then pulled the soffits down to a laser level. So it just saved them a huge amount of time. So they were quoting about a third of the normal time to install those. Another quite interesting one we've just done is we did a little test project at one of the hospitals here in Auckland. And always an issue with a working hospital is there's no power tools, no cutting on site, no mess, no dust. So they carried these small panels, and we made them specifically really smallly. They carried them in, took them up the lift, and then screwed them together by hand in sort of an afternoon on a Sunday. So those are the things that we start to see huge savings. But of course, there's always that front-end loading of design time, and you've got to get that right. And I think that's where a lot of people don't really think properly about prefab and off-site construction, where they want to just go like they do normally, take a bunch of pieces to site and throw it up. And that doesn't work. You've really got to put that effort in the front. But as Amir said, there's huge savings in that example of 70% on those trusses. You get it back, you've just got to put it in first, which I think the construction industry in general is not really used to. I appreciate all of that context too. And when I've thought about prefab historically, and this may just me being simply incorrect, which has happened before. I mostly think about new construction. So I've really loved the examples of existing facilities that are being either renovated or retrofitted or anything along those lines, where now you have new elements that are actually more flexible to increase your your build or decrease your build time, really, instead of, you know, net new building on site. So being able to bring those factory elements out into a project, whether it's brand new or it's something that's being renovated is is pretty interesting. So I'd like to kind of take this moment to shift now that we've got the what and why behind, you know, what the heck prefabrication really means in the construction industry. I think some out there listening might feel a little bit overwhelmed at how far reaching the scope and the potential for the tech is. And so I want to pause and, and learn a bit more about how our listeners can get started themselves. So Amr, let's talk hypothetically for a couple of minutes. Imagine you've just joined a brand new mid-sized general contractor that's eager to embrace prefabrication on their projects, but they've never done so before. How would you advise them to start that journey? 
First of all, it's an accumulated process. So it's like an accumulation of knowledge and the technology. So when we have BIM data, and then we utilize it to prefabricate assemblies. So at the beginning, let's start with building a strong data, which requires BIM teams and expertise. And from this data, you can really basically right now with HOIC technology, with Autodesk technologies and all these different combine it to produce things. So for years, for example, Eric, we've been utilizing mixed reality to visualize how projects will look like in the future. But right now we're com- using this hologram technology combined with the prefabrication. We are putting it into the making of things and building things. Same thing with prefabrication. If you have that right data, the right model, and you can translate it into unify it with manufacturing technologies and techniques. I loved when you mentioned earlier about schedule, because sometimes in, in companies to adapt to new technologies, like in, in this uh, example here, it, it might be res- some someone would be resistant to adopt to these new technologies. The whole when the best way to do it is to pick a project, a real project, real deadline, and try it on and apply all these technologies. Take smart risks basically to apply all these different technologies. At Wendover, we just shed, I loved when you mentioned, Eric, the shedding schedule, helping the schedule. We, at Wendover, we just shed three months of a schedule in a Canvas project, 275 modular construction units using modular construction, which is offsite, volumetric modular combined. And the reason for that is combining expertise of modular construction, which takes years to build, by the way, great supers, great project managers, combined with technology and BIM data from drones and laser scans to improve MEB BIM coordination. So you need all these players to come together. Prefab expertise, BIM expertise to get the data and coordination on site to make sure that all these elements, prefab elements will fit perfectly on site. And that takes some laser scanning, drone mapping, and other elements for coordination. So it sounds like the the execution of this is definitely tech focus to do effectively and there's there's so many elements to consider so i'd like to get nick's perspective from the factory side of things and in what's being done off-site in a controlled environment because i think those that they're listening also need to think about that element in addition to their own technology and how they're setting everything up. So Nick, can you share a little bit more about how you can take what's actually built in the factory and successfully bring it on site for installation? I know you mentioned the different variations in floors and ceilings, and there's there's so many things to consider to build something elsewhere and show up at a you know half constructed building and say, this fits and it works and you know we're good. So I'd like to hear some lessons learned from you if you could share yeah, well, the first thing is people sort of jump straight to this massive volumetric plant, you know, something like a car factory, you know, 100,000 square feet. In reality, what we see is most people start with a small factory, you know, some as small as you know, 3,000 square feet with a single machine in it, or actually bringing those components from somewhere else to try them, to build them. So you know, things like bathroom pods and volumetric modules, you've got a huge amount of handling and cranes and all that sort of stuff you've got to cope with and think about. What I would suggest to people is actually start small. Start with a 2D panel, start with a single component, and then it's it's easy to transport to site. It's no different. We're actually delivering a whole lot of panels to the center of Auckland City this morning on a small trailer. The whole idea was we can tow it with a truck into town, leave the trailer on a, in a car park, and the guys can offload a whole apartment with panels in one hit. So you sort of don't have to think massive 18-wheeler trucks and huge cranes and that sort of thing. It's sort of a site-by-site thing. Volumetric is great, 
if that's what the project is. If it's a hotel, they're all the same. You've got a crane on site, you've got the people, you've got all that interesting stuff happening. But if you're building a single house or you know, half a dozen houses, you probably don't have that space and you don't have that huge cost of a crane sitting there. So those are things to consider. I think it is, it's just about starting small and figuring it out as you go a little bit because you've got to learn, but you've also got to be willing to put that effort in the start. I think that's the biggest takeaway to have is even if you're just drawing something up on a piece of paper and then transferring it into an automated CAD system so that you can build it, that's where you've got to start. You can't just expect that these pieces are going to arrive and fit like a box of stud does now. I'm chuckling because the theme on this show, when I ask this question about whatever particular topic we're discussing that week is, is always very firmly rooted in just make the decision to start. Like, You've, you've got to make that leap and understand that, you know, there's some risks as uh, Amr has shared, but make them, you know, intentionally and, and choose scopes of a project or scopes of work that aren't so big that you're going to get overwhelmed when you're learning the process from the beginning. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that that continues to apply to, uh, to prefabrication as well. So I feel like I would be amiss not to ask because prefabrication lends so heavily to building in a controlled environment that, of course, of the last 12 to 14 months, our industry has had a lot of new challenges with the ongoing pandemic. And so I wanted to hear a little bit on how the attention on prefabrication specifically might have changed and if people are using it more effectively or asking more questions is, is a result of this new way of working. Yeah, so there's definitely been a huge increase in demand from our side of certain inquiry levels, but mainly due to a couple of factors. One is material supplies. So if you look at timber, for instance, it's really hard to get big pieces of timber. So for our floor joist systems, we've seen a huge amount of demand and we've seen a lot of people switching over to that system because it's kind of a small step, it's not a big design piece. And once they've switched, it's very hard for them to go back to traditional. The other thing we're seeing is there's design teams looking at jobs that now have a bit of breathing space because work on site has slowed or stopped. So they can actually sit back and look at these things and go, okay, if we attack this a little bit differently, can we gain some of that time we've lost? And that's really driving a hard look at things. We still get a lot of kind of people who don't really know what they want to look at and a bit of time wasting going on there, but at least people are looking. But you know, I would probably say the inquiry levels have probably maybe doubled in the last 12 months, which is not what we're expecting. We're expecting it to fall off a cliff, but obviously with what's happening in the world, everybody's trying to do more with less. You're bringing up a great point, Eric, and I totally agree with Nick about how COVID, if there is one thing we learned last summer during the COVID surge is how we utilize our knowledge of prefab to really support clients. Like at Wendover, we have been reached fewer schools in New England reached out to us to build to, in response to COVID-19, temp dorms for their students. So when they come back in September, if they test positive, they can stay in those temp dorms. So what we did is actually we utilized both BIM data on the site with prefabrication and the modular to set modules almost in one project was 200 bits in two months only. So a process that we usually take a few months to a couple months only, thanks to the prefab and the prep on site. So the challenge on site, and this is a lesson learned that will carry over with us even after COVID. COVID will go away, but we learned how we utilize these technologies for the future. Uh, the challenges with prefab is that you have something built in the factory and you want to make sure it's going to fit on the site. So while in the real time, the work is done in the factories, there is a lot of coordination in terms of laser scanning and drone mapping the site and as built to progress in terms of steel bodium, 
to and feed this knowledge and this updates to the factory work in real time to make any tweaks, make sure that everything will fit on site. So COVID have helped us uh, and proved that all these all these different technologies can put in place to to support the clients. It all makes sense too because. You've got to have that interconnection to keep track on where everything's at and how progress is going. And like, if you think about like a city building site with a small laydown area and a whole lot of traffic to control when you're bringing in big materials, if you don't have that overlap as far as technology and progress tracking goes, your just-in-time deliveries are going to be a, a an absolute nightmare. So it's it's encouraging to hear that the ability to coordinate, you know, this offsite portion of work and easily show up on site and build it and be confident that it's going to fit is is great news. And Amr, you you made a, a mention of data a minute ago that I'd kind of like to hone in on. How does incorporating prefabrication on a project impact creating turnover packages or supporting more progressive tools like digital twins? You're bringing up a great point, Eric, because in a non-prefab project, in a regular construction project, our standard right now is to provide clients with as-built documentation, not only 2D plans of as-built, but after, before closing up ceilings and walls, we scan the as-built MEB, so 10 years from now, clients can have a full documentation of the history of the building. So they see behind room 201, what's behind this ceiling, what's behind this wall to support the future facility maintenance. But the challenge here is that those boxes are being made in a factory in a remote area, far away from the site. So how are we going to scan it? So what we did is that we supported our factories that we work with and we worked with them closely to scan each box each modular box and hand our clients at the end of the project. And that's the way we work at, at Wondover, be, begin with the end in mind. So we document all these boxes documentation and give them a full documentation. So 10 years from now, they click on conference room 201 and they tour it and make quick measurements of different things. That's how we document a 3D information rich web based. They don't have to be experts, uh, clients and facility managers to menu to go through these data. We make it easier this way. And thanks to the technologies and uh, like all these different web based posts uh, like PIM360 and other things that can really help us save this securely and support our clients uh, 10 years after the project is completed. I'm so happy to hear that it, it doesn't disrupt the overall you know, documentation process because it's always such an important thing to consider as we look to the owners and the operation phase of the project. Nick, do you have any, any thoughts there as far as how your tech supports that digital twin or you know, turnover packages as far as people knowing exactly what they've got in their building? Yeah, well, the, the beauty of wrong forming something with a CNC process is you get what it was told to make. So you kind of get the as-builts as part of the process. It's not an add-on at the end. So one of the things we can control is we know what was made out of the machine at the time. So that means that what was made was what's in the building. So you're not getting modifications on site without someone at least recording them. So all those things help us. That makes sense. You know, no surprises if you've you've built the thing, your your technology tracks all of that and you know eases the the turnover of documentation to support what they've got. So that's that's great to hear. So I want to look at the future a minute and you know pull our crystal balls out. And 
I'd appreciate any insights or thoughts on how prefab may be leveraged in the construction industry in the near and distant future, maybe in say 10 or 20 years compared to what's going on today. Nick, can you share your thoughts as far as what's uh, what's coming down the funnel for us? Yeah, one of the things we're seeing is with the internet of things side of things, uh, there's a lot of going on in that space. What I can see happening is production as a service is something that everybody keeps asking for. We're not there yet, but I can see it coming. We're to the point where, from our point of view, you can see those panels being made live out of the machine. So you know where, what, where in the process they are. They've left design, they're in manufacture, they've been assembled, they're moving to the site. I can see one of the things that will give us huge advantages is say we need to move a duct on site or a plumbing fixture or something, doesn't really matter what it is, we'll be able to look live into the model and actually see where that production's through. So if we need to make a change, we can make a change on a part that's still to be made or put a halt on that part of the building and say, don't make those panels because we need to change them rather than the traditional fashion of we make them, we take them to site and then we either hack them around or we throw them out and make some more. So there's some huge advantages there and I think it will drive mass customization. So a bit like the auto industry, you you can build 50 different cars with the same parts and they all look different and they all function different but there's that core engineering principle behind them. I like that aspirational look at where, you know, we're headed right now. Anything we can do to to reduce waste and ease up that collaboration and communication as we bring things on site is is pretty cool and the the auto reference I think is is super relevant as far as having that factory approach but still having a, a beautiful product at the end of the day and, and dispelling that myth that we talked about earlier of prefabrication is just ugly boxes like as as we've uncovered here that's most certainly not the case. There's a lot of really cool scope that you can do and, you know, reduce cost, time spent, increase your schedule savings. It's all excellent. Amr, how about you? What's your glimpse into the future when you open up your your crystal ball here? I expect uh, the prefab to be the standard for our industry in the next five, 10 years. The reason for that is that we are becoming more and more counting on real data. We are not looking at technology more of a tool. I'd rather that we look at it and we are doing that now as a whole EEC industry, architects, engineers, construction companies like Wondover, looking at these technologies as not only a tool, but as a method and methodology, technological methodology, combining different technologies to make things work finally work for our industry. And you you bring up a great point, Eric, that uh, architects are now designing more flexible spaces. So as a whole industry over the time, in the next five, 10 years, we're gonna build more, a big library of more flexible designs that can uh, improve the overall built environment because the whole purpose of this is support our, the good for the public, uh, not only for the builder or for the architect. And there's a way we can do that by reducing waste but also as well as creating spaces that bring people together. And uh, it doesn't have to be a box. And the way we're going to do that, and we are actually doing that now, is improved because you have buildings with very complex MEB systems right now. It's much easier to just go for a box, but to take that challenge to make, to respond to the more beautiful buildings that people would like to look at and improve the built environment, you need more of coordination. And that only happens, as we mentioned earlier, coordinating what's built happening inside with the factory to give more confidence for design teams and architects to design more flexible buildings, being confident that it will happen and it will be built safely in the right manner. 
I like all of these projections and I hope they come to the industry sooner rather than later because I think the, the positive impacts are definitely obvious if, if we can get people to embrace and understand you know, just how powerful this technology is. And I think we've done a great job at the very least of establishing that prefab is not simply creating, you know, very uninspiring boxes, but the scope is is much wider than that. And even if you're not looking to you know fabricate an entire building, there's still scopes of work that are relevant and beneficial to to capture and bring into your projects. And then you get to build on that success. And you know maybe in ten years you are prefabricating ninety percent of your building. We'll see where the technology is and you know what Nick's company brings to the table to support our industry in that world. So. To close out this week's episode, everybody out there listening knows I've got one final question that I asked each guest on the show. It's so much fun to hear the answers and the, the wide range of responses that we get. So, Armour, I'm going to start with you. What is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? I think it's more of... Uh laser scanning we utilize laser scanning like laser scanners uh, and drones because we utilize it now a lot and if one thing we learned from the pandemic is that how we can how the, all these different technologies can really enhance communication and the streamline decision making like we had last year superintendents working in the field while project managers working remotely so how to bring this communication we had to scan sites autonomously all the time and provide those folks working remotely with the data so they can make informed decisions. So one thing I always keep is laser scanners and drones with, with our team here at Wendover, VDC team, to help support. And of course, the Howick uh, machinery is one of our great technology tools because it's really transforming. What Howick is doing is really uh, making it accessible for uh, construction companies and EEC industry to unify data with manufacturing, which will really help with the future of our industry. It sounds like you've got a lot of really cool tools in your toolbox. I'm going to need to come do a site walk with you one of these days, see some of this stuff in action. It's really neat to look at, especially considering just the the delta in advanced technology from when I was still boots on the ground working for a general contractor versus what we're doing today. The, the progress is just astonishing. And I think the flexibility, as you were alluding to, to support project managers who aren't necessarily on site, but still giving them that real-time actionable data that they can support all of their projects without being in the field in the moment is is incredibly important. Nick, how about you? Is there is there any particular tool that you always want to carry with you no matter what project you're working on? Yeah, in this high-tech world, funnily enough, there's always a pencil. Uh, I always have one on hand so you can just brain dump to people with it and you can you know, sketch things up. You can come up with new ideas and then you can go and develop them from that. Find you if you if you've got a pencil and piece of paper in your hand, you can actually be on site, see something, and go right. I've figured out how to fix this. I can make a quick note of it or a quick sketch, and then go and develop it back in the office. So a lot of our kind of stuff that we've developed over the years has come from that sort of thing. Being in a factory and seeing someone struggling with one weird particular thing, it may be some funny hole for something to pass through. I can either even draw on the bit of steel and say right, that's how we're going to make this bit. So that's what I always carry with me is a pencil. I like it. And you're showing that you've got a, a talent that I most certainly do not possess, because if I'm asked to to sketch anything, it's going to be a surprise as to what we're going to get at the end of the day. So glad you carry that tool with you and thank you for sharing it. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what both of you are working on. And if you've got anything you'd like to, to plug for our listeners. Amr, how about you? We, we've been working recently on automation processes 
making sure we can automate uh, laser scanning on site reality capture and bring manufacturing into our daily construction activities. And we are trying also to extend our services to the whole EEC industry, like Wendover launched the IDEA platform, Innovations for Design, Automation, and Engineering, to support all the different, we've been project, working on projects in California, in Texas. So this is a way we can transform industries. And with collaborations, like with how with Howick and Fologram, we can really transform the industry. We can work for years as construction, as construction industry by ourselves, and we won't get anywhere to move the industry forward. The only way we can bring cross-industry expertise, like the manufacturing of uh, manufacturers such as NEC and his team and robotics companies, developers, so we can really develop things that could make it easier and support the construction industry. Nick, how about you? Is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners or anything coming up that you'd like them to know about? Yeah, there's there's an endless list of projects that we're working on. One of the big ones, obviously, is where we linked up with the mayor and the team at Windover was the technology center in Boston with Autodesk. So we got a machine up there. We've got another one going up there shortly to replace it. But a telescopic system, which allows people to try stuff in a risk-free environment, which is quite cool. The other one, I think if anyone's interested in seeing some really funky shapes and some architectural pieces that you can do, there's a guy called Scott at Studio Construction, and I'm sure we can share the link, who is developing all sorts of funky shapes that are either structural or non-structural, just all using our framing and things that he's learned from the Technology Centre in Boston. So just to show that architectural crowd that you know, we can make an eagle is one of the things he made recently and he can make big curb structures and things that you wouldn't normally think you could do with an offsite panel. Definitely have a look at that. Sounds like some cool stuff. And you're absolutely right, Nick. If you can send over some links and, and Amr as well to anything you'd like our listeners to take a look at, I'll include them in our show notes and give them some easy access to finding what you're working on. And if our listeners have any questions for either of you, where can they find you? They can always reach out to us in our website, wendover.com. And my email is my first initial A and my last name, Rafat, at wendover.com anytime. Would love to talk with everyone if someone wants to learn about something specifically or have a nice conversation. And we always love to make new friends in the industry. This is a great industry that we all want to move it forward. I agree. It's it's really great to see just the knowledge sharing. It's not a competitive conversation. It's just an honest one about how we can all build better at the end of the day. So Nick, how about you? What's the best way for our listeners to reach out if they have any questions? Yeah, just through our website. So howickltd.com is the way to reach me or my email is just nick at howickltd.com always happy to talk to people about ideas and challenges that they're having and how we can work together as, as, as we said it's really about being collaborative there's a lot of problems that can be solved quite easily if everyone's willing to share Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me this week. And for those out there still listening, thank you for tuning in to Digital Builder. If you have any questions for me or want to appear on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at Builder underscore digital. You can also connect with us through the Digital Builder homepage, which you can find at construction.autodesk forward slash podcast. There you can sign up for our biweekly newsletter and suggest show topics or future potential guests. And if you're loving the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. It really does make a difference for me and my team. And of course, you can like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.